0: Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today.
1: Uh, Today you're in for a treat. I want to invite up my good friend, Dom Russo, it was five years ago that Pastor Doug Schmidt came to me and said, there's a leader you need to meet, and Doug has a way of describing people, and he begins to describe Dom, and he says that he's gifted, but he's a brilliant thinker as well. I think you're going to like him, and in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, can anybody live up to the description that Doug gave? And then we met. And uh, I can say to you that he not only lived up to it, but he exceeded it. Dom is a thoughtful, compassionate leader who's serving in a context that is uh, described by many as secular uh, context. And it's been great being a partner with the 180 Church from the beginning to now. But uh, recently, when we were thinking about how do we reach university students and what team needs to be a part of this endeavor, Um, I immediately thought of Dom. And I reached out to him and said, Dom, can we collaborate on creating what we would call a a worldview experience for university students? there will be a curriculum that uh, will be the foundation of it, but we would create a gathering together where students can learn how to see all of life through the lens of the teaching and personal. Person of Jesus Christ, their career, their family, but also some of the hot button issues like human sexuality, the advance and rise of technology and AI, the arts, the sciences, their careers. How do we help them to see all of this through the person, work, and teachings of Jesus Christ? He readily said yes, and we've been partnering and endeavoring on that since. Uh, we are working with two churches, one in East Lansing, Trinity Church, and one that's in Arbor. Harbor, uh, that is pastored by a great guy, Ty, Ty Lemke, called Grace Bible Church. I want you to be praying for university students and praying for Dom. Now, immediately after this message, he wishes he can hang out with us, but he has to get on a plane and get back to his family and his church. But, Father, we pray that you would bless the 180 Church and that you would speak to our hearts through our brother. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can you give a big Woodside welcome to Pastor Dom Russo? Love you, man. Love
0: you. Such a such a gift to be back here. I already feel taller. I already feel taller. Pastor Chris, go have a seat. It's been, <laughs> but, uh, it's so nice to be back. For those you've never met me, uh, you know you hear different stories about me. But I want to tell you at the, at the bottom of my heart, I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus, and I think people who encounter Jesus are never the same. And so years ago, when I started thinking about what it would mean to go back to my home, which is Montreal, Quebec, any people visit Montreal, Quebec before? People in the house? Yeah, that's wonderful. It's people come visit, jazz festival, it's a wonderful, it's a global city. You know, we just thought maybe God was calling us to head back there to plant a church. And and we did that with prayer, support, and also just the encouragement of Woodside and the partnership. So I'm so grateful, not only for Pastor Doug's friendship, well, I love Pastor Doug, and now Pastor Chris's friendship and relationship with this new initiative. But I, I just want to give you a little update that if you heard about the 180 before, we started as a small community in an area of the city that we prayed God would kind of use this, actually one of the fastest growing areas of the city. And I have a picture for you. You'll see it on the screen. We started with about 40 people and some families and friends and we met in this warehouse and I think about this picture often because when we started I wondered, God, how how is this going to go? And I had all these questions and concerns and every week you feel like it's going to fall apart. And and part of what you don't see maybe in this picture because it's a little bit dark, everybody was wearing their winter jackets almost all the time. Uh, The rent was not something we could afford right away. It was kind of cold. And if you're a preacher, having people with their jackets on is always a bad thing. Because you always feel like they're ready to leave. And so you're like, I got to speed it up to get the word in them. You know what I mean? So fast forward, we kept being faithful and serving. And, you know, we don't have any magic secrets, but we're just learning to trust Jesus. Uh, We now have grown to about 250 people who are part of the 180 church. See a picture there? And we are... We are dreaming about ways that God will continue to use us, not only where we are, but also with the university students in our context. And actually this fall, we made a decision to go to two services just to keep making room, keep making space for young families and kids. And that would never be possible. We're not for your prayers and your generosity and your giving. And so I'm so excited to stay connected to Woodside to dream about ways where I can continue to serve and help and encourage many of you as well. Many of you brought your Bibles. I want you to go to Luke chapter 24. Uh, And this is really important. I want to look at a section in the gospel of Luke chapter 24. Maybe you have a device, your iPhone, your iPad. Uh, I want to look at this section and actually it's such a beautiful chapter. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. Balcony as well. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say, read Luke 24. Some of you didn't do anything. Some of you just ignored me. Unacceptable. Read Luke 24. (laughs) Okay, you got to read the whole chapter. Because of time, we're just going to look at the second section of Luke 24. the The second section of Luke 24 allows us to enter a story with the disciples of Jesus, those who've been following Jesus at a time where many of them had lost hope. Many of them wondered whether the Jesus that they loved was the real Jesus, was the one that was going to set them free. And I want to read the beginning of Luke 24 verse 13. I'll read it for you and I'll start to explain kind of what God was doing and what we can learn from what God was doing in this special season in the life of his people. And This is what it says. That that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. You can underline all these things. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus, the resurrected one, himself drew near and went with them. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. And oftentimes we only turn to this passage around Easter time. Because kind of it's the Easter story. I love to say this at my church back home every Sunday's Easter. Every Sunday's a time where we celebrate that Jesus is alive. Not he was alive, he is alive. Right? And so when we read these stories, because we know the whole story, we can miss the profound pain that these disciples are feeling. That they've been to Jerusalem and the one that they love has been crucified. The one that they love has been taken and the power of a vengeful, violent empire destroys people with power. The Romans had mastered ways of shutting these movements down and Jesus is dead, according to them. Their lives are just just unraveling and I think about what they're going to tell their families when they get home. What what they're going to tell their wives to be like, we sacrificed for three years and he's dead. And how many people are going to say, oh, I told you so. I told you, oh, we told you, like uh, this happens all the time. I think about this passage because I think about what it means that they have to learn to deal with shattered expectations of what they believe God would do. You and I know this. We know how hard it is to live in moments in our lives when our expectations of something are just shattered. Maybe it's a business that you thought was going to explode. You were going to be really doing well and that fell through. Maybe it's a marriage that's not where it should be. Maybe it's your studies and you feel like you had all these expectations of scholarships and school and that didn't come together. You can imagine that Jesus enters this moment, these disciples, and he begins to walk with them. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this, that the larger context of this passage is known as Holy Week. That's like the week that leads up to Easter weekend, And often some of you maybe have heard the term Passion Week. Have you ever heard like the Passion of the Christ? The term Passion associated with this? It's important to remember that the word Passion comes from a Latin word which is Passio. Passio means to suffer with. So that's why we call it the Passion Week. It means we're going to follow along in the suffering of Jesus. And now Jesus is doing this with his disciples. When I think about the shattered expectations, I also think about the church. We are pastoring and leading in a very secular context, in a post-Christian context. And just what kind of hope and commitment it takes to be in those spaces sometimes when we're discouraged or we thought we'd be further along or we thought people we poured into would grow and it's just not coming together. I think about a stat that I read a while ago and you'll see it on the screen. It said this, that Quebec boasted 2,746 churches in 2003. But since then, 713 have been destroyed, closed, or converted. This is pretty much the state of many of the conversations in not only Quebec, but many places in North America that are being termed secular spaces. They're spaces where people who used to believe in God, who used to care about faith, who used to think Jesus should be the center and faith should be relevant to every part of their life that slowly is fading away. And we had expectations that we would make a difference and that's not always working. So I often think about this and I want to tell you we're going to need new creative ways to reach people in these kind of secular spaces. And I don't know where your journey has been but sometimes when you hear the word secular, you think of secular as an idea of people who are just outside of the church. But I'm here to tell you that secularism has a way of also impacting people in the church. Ways that we think, ways that we live, ways that we understand our life. And we're going to need God to help us to rethink how we share about a Jesus who gives hope and a God who doesn't change in a world that's always changing and accelerating in changing, changing faster than ever. If you want to, if you want to see where this happens the most, talk to some of our students who are university students, because on campuses, they feel the pace of change. And that change is not always bad change. Some of it's great change, but secularism does something that forces us to think differently about the story of Jesus in this new context. If we read on in the passage, it's so beautiful what Jesus does next with them. This is what we're told. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And I love this. And Jesus said to them, What things? How beautiful is this? Now, we have a lot of questions. I mean, I have a lot of questions. Because I'm already, like, thinking, Jesus, just tell them who you are. Like, just just tell them, like, they're sad, they're discouraged. If you're like me, I'm like, let's just speed it up and just get to the punchline. Like, they're going to be so excited when they know that this is Jesus. But by God's grace and his will, it's really important that we just walk with them in this journey. There's going to be the right time when Jesus reveals who he is. But we see in this profound moment, Jesus does something, and if you have notes, I want you to look at your notes, is Jesus enters this season of doubt that they have and helps them not to lead to despair. Jesus has a profound way of entering the most painful situations of our lives and giving us space to doubt, giving us space to process deep concerns and worries without leading us to despairing whether he loves us, whether he cares for us. Now, you might have noticed this really profound thing that Jesus does, because he does in this passage what he's always done in his ministry. He asks people questions. Can you imagine that the one who is all truth, all light, all power, the way the truth and the life asks people questions to answers he already knows? This is so profound. Like, if I had all the truth, I'd be telling everyone what to do. Right? Some of you are like that. And your kids know it and your spouse is like, yeah, I'm married to them. Like the, you're just telling people, do the, go there, do this, because you know better than they do. Jesus knows better than anyone and he asks questions. He asks questions as a reminder that he loves to hear us share about the things that pain us the most. He wants us to, to share and to talk about and to express some of those emotions in a way that sometimes we just need to hear ourselves sharing those thoughts Some of us need to hear ourselves cry sometimes. Some of us need to experience what it's like to be in these moments and to remember that when Jesus enters those spaces of doubt, he helps us not to lead to despair. Some of you are here this morning, and you're wondering whether this is a safe place to share your questions. Whether this is a safe place for you to work through some of your doubts. Can I let you know that one of the beautiful things about this partnership, Pastor Chris's heart and the staff, is that this is a safe place. Many people I know who live in this world or are in this secular culture, they've decided that churches are not safe places. They've talked to someone who's a Christian and they've experienced shame and judgment. And yet Jesus enters the most broken moments and asks a question. What's been going on in Jerusalem? Like what, what happened there? And these disciples are like, really? Like, are you the only person that doesn't know they killed the guy who was giving us a little bit of hope? They killed him. I'm not sure what it's going to take for you to believe that some of the things in your heart that are leading you to maybe be hopeless, that Jesus wants to hear about them. As I was preparing, as I've prayed, I've prayed that some of you would start hearing Jesus ask you questions through a friend, through a loved one. Just tell me about your broken marriage. Just tell me about the struggles with your health. Just tell me about your doubts about the Bible. Just tell me. It's okay. Let's talk. Every time I think of this passage, I think of a young girl that I met years ago, walked into my office, young adult, you know, she was hopeful for so many things, but I could tell when she stepped into my office to chat, she was experiencing doubts that were leading her close to despairing for everything. And I remember she was so quiet and kind of timid, she stepped into my office, I had a sense that maybe she wasn't even ready to talk about anything. And I remember saying to her, you know what, if you don't want to talk, that's okay. This young girl's name was Heather. And she sat in my office. She was quiet for a little while and then she started to share. And as we look back, you know, she wrote to me really some of the things that were going on in her heart. And this is how she would describe what her life was like in that moment. She said this, drugs and alcohol were my way of escaping. And I wasn't shy about using them on a regular basis. I hit bottom and I was ashamed of the person I was pretending to be. This is her story. This is hard. It's not only hard to be in this place, it's hard to talk about being in this kind of place. To find a place where it's safe enough to say this to someone. My life is a mess and things are broken and some of that is my fault of the choices I've made when God was calling me in a different way. And Heather sat in my office and we prayed and a few years ago she sent me a note. and She said, Pastor Dom, I don't know if you remember me. My name is Heather and I came into your office and, and you shared some things with me and I said, great, like did I tell you some really brilliant things? Like what did I say? I mean, did I explain the Trinity? Did I explain some complicated theology? I was ready, you know, because I'm brilliant and I need to hear that, right? (laughs) She says, no, you didn't say any of those things. She says, you just said to me something that changed my life. You told me that God still loved me. That's all I said. And I remember that moment. I remember saying that to her. And I remember just reminding her that the most painful thing she was feeling we're not the end of the story because sin never gets the last word. Amen. Not in the kingdom of Jesus. Not in the kingdom of Jesus. So she sent me a note. Amen. She sent me a note. She said, I'm sending you a note, Pastor Dom, to tell you that in the next few weeks, I'm going to be baptized. And my life has been changed. And actually, there's a picture of her. She, I, 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 she sent this to me and I got a picture of her being baptized, her life being changed. Uh, let me just say to you, this can never get old to us. This can never get old. If this is getting old for you, I mean, just kind of read your Bible, pray, talk to a friend. This needs to be on the forefront of our hearts that Jesus enters moments where people are doubting and make sure that they don't lead to despair. Reminds them that there's still hope there. And Jesus is doing this with these disciples on this journey. Quick question, do do they know it's Jesus yet? I still don't know. This is what the Bible tells us happens next. Profound. He says that they say to Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, they tell Jesus. Yes, and besides all of this, it was now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. This is such an important part of this story that is easy to miss. It tells us that these followers, these Cleopas and this other disciple who were with Jesus, experienced even hearing That Jesus might be alive and they still went back home. They had been so hurt and all of the confusion of that that Holy Week. That they were like, we didn't even stick around enough. But we were amazed at what the women were telling us but didn't keep us there. Can I just remind you that this is important for us in our time. That being amazed at Christianity, being amazed at some of the things you see at church. Are not going to be enough to get you through a hopeless situation. That will not be enough. Hype will not get you through the pain of this world. Great worship, great music. I've been with people like, oh, I feel goosebumps when I'm at church. Goosebumps are not going to get you through it. They're not. It's going to take a commitment to understand how the hope of Jesus grounds us in places. When everyone else looks at it as hopeless, we see the hope that the living Jesus is still there. And what happens that's so profound, and you'll see it in your notes, is that Jesus at some point is going to begin to share with them, and he's almost going to do a little Bible study, post resurrection Bible study with Jesus. Look how beautiful this is. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe. You might want to underline slow, slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. How beautiful. Jesus says, hey, now, I've been listening. I've been listening, but it's really important. And it seems like you're really slow to connect all the pieces. But maybe, just maybe, that Jesus that you loved, the one that you think is still dead, maybe some of the things that happened were connected to the great story of Israel. And that you missed the pieces to see this. And, and I want us just to highlight important how that, that these people had walked with Jesus and they were slow to still see the connections. Can you imagine how hard it would be for us? Can you imagine how hard it's going to be for those who don't even have Bibles or even know the story? In your notes, i have give you just a little subtitle to maybe help you write down some thoughts, things that God is saying to you. That we're going to need new ways of getting people back to the Bible with Jesus in mind. To get people back to understanding the Bible in a way where they connect the dots to like who Jesus was and the story of faith and baptism and all these things that for some of you who are here come so naturally. So your temptation is going to be not to ask questions and not to listen. Not to say, you know what, I remember when this was hard for me. I often tell parents this when their kids ask them questions. Just say, that's a great question. Just say, I remember when I struggled to believe that the Bible was the word of God. Just remember, I struggled. I remember when it was hard to go to church for the first time. Because Christians are weird. Amen? Amen. All right, I got some of you. All right. (laughs) You know, sometimes we've been in this so long, we don't remember. We don't remember. And you might know this, that they're not walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus with Bibles in their hands. They know the stories of Israel. They've memorized these stories. They're understanding the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible because the New Testament, by the way, is not written yet. So they're thinking about the story of Israel and Jesus is starting to connect the pieces slowly for them so that they can understand, so they can see what they would have missed. And he's doing it in a way that is drawing them closer to an important moment. I think of so many people that I know and that you know that are going to need our help to slowly reconnect the pieces of their broken life, of a hopeless world, to how Jesus can still make things new. And we're going to have to be there with them. We're going to have to just walk with them. I used this example and I used it before, so maybe you've heard me sh- share this illustration to help you understand how hard this is going to be. Now, how many of you woke up this morning thinking, you know, this week i got to make some time to read the Quran? And some of you thought, you know what, yeah, I don't even have a Quran. i got to buy a Quran. And I got to start looking at verses in the Quran to understand what Muslims believe about Allah and all their teachings. How many of you did that this week? How many of you have that in your agenda? Right? Don't put your hand up. I know the answer. (laughs) Very few of us, unless you're in a class in comparative religions, are not doing that. Right? Whatever feeling you felt when I asked you, are you going to look at the Quran? Are you going to look at the chapters? Is a feeling that everybody in a secular world feels when you say to them, have you ever read the Bible? They'll look at you and think, like, what are you talking about? Why would I ever do that? The Bible's important, and I respect that some Christians believe, but I don't have time to figure out how this old book connects to anything that I'm doing today. Let's talk about ChatGPT. GBT. Well, like, whatever. People are so far into the future. But those of us who know that the resurrected Jesus asks questions, slowly connects to pieces, We have been equipped by the power of the Spirit to step into those moments and help people start to see, even before they get to the Bible, that God still maybe just loves them. And we step into those moments, and we're going to need to do this because the best research we're seeing out there on engaging a secular culture is going to be more surprising than we imagined. One of the books I read years ago talks about secular culture in Canada. It's called Leaving Christianity. This is what the author says. That the research shows that many youth and young adults haven't even been exposed to Christianity. The result is a religious landscape that we have never seen before. This means that people in a secular society don't even care or know enough about Christianity to attack it. They don't care. But yet, his people, we care enough and we know that if those who walked with Jesus were slow to believe, were slow to understand, were slow to connect to pieces, how much more will we have to be with those who are going to need our patience and kindness and help along the way? Along the way. Some of those are co-workers. Some of those are friends. Some of those are kids and grandchildren. I had a confession moment with, with someone in one of the services that said, you know what, I don't think I'm good at that. Uh, I often just tell my family members who don't believe, you know, and I said, you have homework, Luke 24. Read it again. I have many people in my family who don't believe. I have a brother who I love dearly who's an atheist. He won't even visit our church and he lives in our city. Just to pray and to say, God, what's the right time and what's the right thing to say? What's the right question? And how can I just remember that there was a time when I didn't understand this either? It's beautiful in the story because what happens next is Jesus and these disciples get close to their house. Some of you know it's so profound. And they get close to the house and Jesus is waiting. It's almost like he's going to walk on. And they say to him, hey, you know, where are you going? And you should stop in. You should eat with us. You should come in. You know, it's late. And, you know, and Jesus kind of like walks in. And he spends some time with them. We, we don't know all the details, but this is what we're told happens next when they're in the house together. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, he opened to us the scriptures? I mean, every time I read this passage, I want to cry and yell at the same time. Like, I'm like, this is so amazing. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That, that is so important. It's so important. That their eyes were opened at a moment where Jesus reminded them of the meal that he had had with them before he was crucified. That their eyes were opened not only when they learned about the story of Israel, but their eyes were opened when they learned the story about Israel and they also remembered the cross and the resurrection that was preparing them to be the church. That Jesus does something at that table and at that meal that not only helps us celebrate our past, but he begins to prepare them for the future that awaits them. And if you know the story and you've read it, you know what happens next. They do a 180. They turn and go back to Jerusalem. We don't know how late it is. We don't know how tired they are. We don't know if they're still hungry. They're like, oh my goodness, if Jesus is alive, we got to go back. And they make their way back to Jerusalem. And they wait for instruction that will come to them from Jesus. This passage of scripture has so many things to teach us. And just in a few minutes, we unpack some of the important things. So I want to remind you. That there's something again, even in this moment, when Jesus is with them. When they get to the house, that Jesus has stirred in their hearts, burning in their hearts, things that he's teaching them, that they want Jesus to stay longer, to be with them more, to talk more. When you think of Christians in this world, are we seen as people that people want to hear from us more? I think of so many people in a secular culture, when they think of Christians talking, they're like, we've heard it all, we know the Bible stories, you're going to judge us. Are we those who can create a space where we're gentle and kind that as we share, people want to hear more of our story, more of how Jesus changed us, more of how he loves us in our brokenness, more and more. Can we become those kinds of people? Jesus does that in this moment. For some of you, this is the season you're in. God's going to use you in a season where your kids are growing and going to university and experiencing new things and you want to to just remember to hold really, really tightly and be careful of the temptation. To not listen to moments of pain. To not remember that sometimes it's slow moments to connect new stories and new dots that they have in their lives. New, new questions. And that we would be people that even as Jesus made room for his disciples. That we would connect the dots and that they would know. That they would know that the living Jesus is still doing today what he did on that first Easter Sunday morning. In our lives. Some of you are here this morning. Or maybe you're listening online. And Jesus is calling you to do a 180. We use that name at our church because it captures the Greek word of to turn. Metonia means to change direction. It means to stop living for your life and to turn direction and begin to walk and live according to Jesus' ways. And maybe you're here this morning and Jesus is tugging at your heart. You sense that it's time for you to maybe explore Christianity in a more serious way. You've decided Christians are weird. and the Bible, I'm not into that. and religion, we don't need that. And this morning, maybe you got a glimpse of Jesus who didn't do any of those things, but who entered broken places, created room for people to doubt, walked with them and explained to them in new ways so that they could understand, and invited them to just come and follow him. And maybe you're ready for that. I just want to let you know, from what I know, this community and the amazing team here, people would love to talk with you further. If you're getting closer to understand, not only to say yes to Jesus, but baptisms like we saw, and the beautiful things that are in store when we say yes to Jesus. Church, we're going to need a new paradigm. And can I remind you of a promise that Jesus left to us? That he promises to be with us till the very end of the age. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you will ask good questions. You will be patient while people need slow time to connect the dots. And we become the kinds of people that others want to be around and hear more about how God is changing us. God is preparing you and us to be those kinds of people in a fresh way. So those living and hearing of all the noise of our secular culture would see Jesus for who he really is, our living hope. Let's pray. Father, you've been so good to us and so good to this church. Jesus, we are committed disciples and we understand that we exist to serve you. So in this broken season, as we think about the changes in our culture, the violence in the world... Would you remind us that we are those who are committed to hope, not because things are always going well, but because you are with us. And I pray for those who are here this morning, listening in person or on on the internet, that they would begin to sense that you're creating space in their lives for them to surrender shattered expectations. To know that their doubts and their questions do not have to lead to despair that you're creating room for them to grow deeper in their their understanding of scripture and to allow others to ask new questions and that you would make this church a lighthouse of creativity and thinking that would allow us to reach those who are far from you. I pray for Pastor Chris and the elders. Would you continue to bless them as they think about the future? And may you be glorified in all of this, Jesus, because we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.